0: This morning's scripture, two brief verses uh, from the middle of the book of Esther, and the story of Esther is about a, a Jewish woman who nobody knows is Jewish, who becomes queen and is put in a position where she can save her people, the Jews, from uh, being uh, eliminated uh, by an evil Persian named Haman, who is an advisor to the king. And so when the plan, an edict to eliminate the Jews, comes to uh, Queen Esther's uh, uncle and guardian, Mordecai, he sends a message to her and then she sends a message back and that's where we pick up the scripture uh, this morning. And Esther uh, replied to uh, Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews who live in Susa and have them eat uh, have them fast for me they are to eat and drink nothing for three days day and night I and my attendants will fast as they do and when it was over I will go into the king even though it is against the law if I perish I perish this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God be seated please What we're talking about this morning is a story where endless partying uh, results in misery. And I'm not talking about fiesta. I'm talking about what happened in Persia under the king. His name is Ahasuerus. And as a part of his celebration that he was throwing, he uh, threw just an endless party. Night after night of parties and all the men invited to his party not only could drink all they want, they could drink whatever they want. So if they liked a particular kind of wine better than something else, then the stewards brought it to them. And as this drunken fest and banquet went on, the king got a great idea. He would call for his beautiful queen Vashti to come in and perform before the men so they could see how beautiful she was. Well, she was much too sober at her own banquet to fall for something like that. So she refers, refuses to come in. So the king's advisors tell him, this is not a good precedent. If uh, she refuses you, then women or wives all over uh, the country and Persia will refuse their husbands to do what their husbands say as well. Bad precedent. And so they make a decision, and they tell the king that the queen needs to be deposed. So he does depose her, and Vashti is no longer a queen. So he looks for a new queen, and he comes up with a method by which he will get the queen. And, and not surprising, it involves more partying. And they round up eligible women, and they feed them uh, choice food, and Esther's one of them. And then when the winner is chosen, the coronation takes place at, you guessed it, a party, a banquet. And at this banquet, Esther is named queen. Now, perhaps the king is still impaired. We're not sure, but he somehow falls for a plan. That an evil man named Haman comes up with. And the plan is to have an edict that allows people to kill Jews just at will. Uh, once a certain date, uh, comes about and, uh, and I don't know if the king realized what he was signing could have been like the old Colonel Blake and mash. Maybe they just shoved the paper in front of him and, and uh, he put his X on it, but it ended all in the real threat that the Jews in Persia would be extinguished. And so this is when uh, the new queen Esther, who's Jewish, though, nobody knows it. Her uncle Mordecai and guardian sends word to her that basically says, you got to do something. And what she says, and he tells her rather first, is that, you know, God probably allowed you to be queen and brought you here for a moment just like this. And she protests and she says, well, you know, I can't go into the king if you go in. He hadn't asked for me in six months. And if you go in unannounced and uninvited, (coughs) he could kill you. And then Mordecai uh, prevails upon her. And so we came to the scripture. She says, all right, tell everybody to fast. And at the end of the fast, I'll go in there. And if I die, I die. Now, what is fascinating about this story is uh, the Persians and the king and and the former queen get in trouble just after excessive consumption, excessive partying. And their solution when it's time to have a new queen is to party some more and they'll find the right queen. But at this moment in time, a matter of life and death, what is interesting is Esther chooses a most anti-Persian an anti establishment position, and that is, I don't want the Jews to party for me. I want them to fast for me. And she says, and I'll fast as well. So for three days, she'll be in the king's palace while everybody else is partying, and she and her t- attendants will not. It was interesting what one commentator said. He, he said, in the story, Fasting almost serves as some sort of act of, of resistance or, or civil disobedience. It's, it's anti the way that the, the kingdom uh, operates. And then another commentator says, and by fasting and not eating or drinking for three days, uh, Queen Esther, who was, won a beauty contest, is not going to be as beautiful as she might be had she been eating or drinking. Uh, and so after three days, she's going to go in looking less than her beautiful self. In order to beg for the lives of her people and so fasting here is not only in a sense an act that's contrary to the way the king does things but it's also an act of dependence upon God because she is basically saying I'm not going to depend on my beauty. Something else is going to have to save my life here. And that something else, of course, is the power of God. But when I look at the story, I see, I think, a familiar story of a lot of our lives, which is to say sometimes we get into a problem because we consume too much, whether it's overscheduled of activities or we spend too much or maybe we do eat too much or drink too much on occasion like the king. But. But a life of consuming too much, trying to have everything, wanting everything and having everything, oftentimes leads us into difficulty. And unfortunately, like the Persians, we usually choose a response that says, well, the only solution is to get more. And uh, so one of the interesting things is a lot of the difficulties that we face in middle class and upper middle class North America are things like being burned out, being lonely, being stressed out are even bored, and in some ways a lot of these things are the result not of not having enough, but are rather of having so much, consuming so much, and doing so much that they don't even mean anything anymore. And we apparently decide we're going to medicate this problem by often consuming and taking in more or doing more. I'm reminded of what Albert Einstein's great insight. He said a lot of the problems that we have in the world can't be solved at the same level at which they were created. And so, for example, if we are stressed out from too much in schedule or uh, we're not feeling well because we ate too much, the answer is not going to be to do more or to eat more or to buy more. The solution will not be at that level The Christian solution and the biblical solution in many ways to the things that ail us is simply this. Sometimes less is more. And that's where the concept of fasting comes into our life and comes into um, the Bible. Fasting is basically a temporary restraint or halt on something in our life that'll create some space to let God in. Rather than stuffing it with more of ourselves and more things, we... We open up the space and we create a space for God to come in. Because a lot of times our problem is just like I had the other day, which is I'm sitting there and I can't find anything on TV. I'm bored. 35 more channels is not going to make any difference. It's not going to solve my issue. The issue is at a deeper level. And you never get to that level if you're still consuming Uh, Whatever we might be consuming, whether it's activities or media or food or drink, Uh, we simply serve to medicate the Real issue. Dr. Gerald May wrote a wonderful book uh, more than 25 years ago called Addiction and Grace. And one of the things he said is that all of us as human beings are hardwired for a relationship with God. We're, we come into this world and, and, and we are created for a relationship with God, but he said one of the things that we do is we avoid that relationship with God by stuffing our life full of things and activities that keep god at a distance and uh and so we never experience that for which we were created and that which we really long for the most and so that's where fasting comes in it's it's sort of a spring cleaning if you will it's, it's a way to clear out some stuff in my life temporarily that will give god opportunity to move in and the church has long known and the, and the people of God have long known of the power of this temporary uh, restraint or temp, uh, that are temporary abstinence called fasting. In fact, uh, we see it in the book of Jonah. We see it in Esther. Uh, we see it in the life of Jesus when he is getting ready to go through the forty, and he's in the forty days of uh, of uh, the wilderness and temptation. He fasts. The early church in Acts thirteen fasts before they send out their first missionaries, Paul and uh, and uh, Barnabas. They fast again when they are selecting leaders for their community in Acts fourteen. Uh, fasting is a well known. Practice That creates a space where God can come in. And now I know that fasting for many people is a form of self-denial. So I'm not going to have this or I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to strength, strengthen my willpower and my and my muscles, my spiritual muscles. And I think that's true. But by and large, uh, fasting in the Bible is not so much self-denial as it's, it's, as it's rather just creating a space where God can come in. Letting God have access. And when my life is too full, then God, there's no room for God in my life. So fasting is something that we do, a temporary giving up that opens a place for God in our lives. So what I want to tell you is just from my own experience of fasting... Here's three things that that I've noticed and have happened to me in life. The first one is this. I've noticed that when I fast, uh, that my focus... Uh, is sharpened and heightened, and and I see God more clearly and experience God um, uh, more more clearly as well. So, for example, in in my fast, um, I'm I'm uh, drinking uh, water and, and uh, juice, and, but I'm not eating on on my fast day. And so, when I get a hunger pain, uh, just before that point where I get hangry, which maybe some of you get, but but before that, the first pains. They remind me of my need for God. I think about Deuteronomy 8, 3, where it says that, that humans don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So on that day, when, when I feel some hunger, one of the first things I do is rather than, than go for a candy bar, is I go to God's word. And, and what I've found often is my focus is heightened and God becomes more real in those moments when I'm temporarily giving up something. Another thing that I've experienced is uh, for, for years, my fast day used to be on Thursday when I would write my sermon uh, in the library. And I would find on those days typically greater clair- clarity of thought uh, before. But as Thursday got longer, it with night activities. I, I switched the fast day to another day, but generally on that fast day, uh, I was my my antenna were were heightened and and tuned in better to God. So the first thing I found was focus. Second thing is something that the ancient church mothers and fathers found, and they said that fasting is often a feast because when you give up other things that are. Uh, Filling your life apart from God, then God is able to come in and you end up feasting on God and experiencing God more deeply. And this is how I accidentally found this out. The first year that I went to Burundi in 2010, we went to a small town uh, where th- there's a little motel that we stay in uh, for several days. And uh, the first year we were there, um, my phone wasn't working. uh couldn't get reception, couldn't send or receive texts from home and then um and then the internet uh was not was not working uh in in that part of the village so it, we would gather and, and work all day and do things eat dinner in the evening and usually you go back to your room uh about eight or eight thirty and you don't see another human being till seven the next morning and there i was in this room no internet no tv <laughs> no texting nothing but a bible and a couple of books that i brought along nothing uh, have you ever uh, while you teach your children to pray have them at the bedside at night and they start asking god to bless a lot of people have you ever been there with them and you're like you'd like to draw a limit because it's time to go to bed but they're still asking god to bless people well that's what i was doing i was blessed i blessed god for everybody i knew and then i started on people i didn't even know and I and still had time. But night after night of this, and what I found was uh, that that was the richest my relationship with God had been in years. A fast from the media had turned into a feast into the presence of of God. So one of the things is I find that uh, in these uh, temporary uh, periods of restraint that my focus increases and even better than that, my experience of God gets richer and deeper. And then the third thing I found is this and, and uh, the best way to explain it is like last night. Um, last night, um, my wife has worked and, and I've already cooked the only two things I know how to cook. So so I'm sort of done for the week. So we decide we'll go eat and and. It's like, where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? Well, you know, we've hit every place in town over the years, it seems. You're so satiated that it's just like, well, whatever, we'll go here. When I come back from Burundi in Africa, I know exactly where I'm going when I come back. I'm going for Mexican food. First thing next day. And so if my wife says to me, when I've just come back from Africa, where do you want to eat? She doesn't even have to ask the question. She knows the answer. So one of the things I've realized is that when you are temporarily abstaining or restraining from something, what you gain is a greater appreciation for what you already have and what's in your midst. When you are away from people... For a short period, whether it's in solitude or a retreat, one of the things that happens is you start to more deeply appreciate the people when you are back with them. fasting in whatever form you choose usually will heighten your appreciation of the gifts that God has given you. And so fasting has many uh, benefits. Now I need to give you this warning. Uh, the other day, my uh, my youngest son, who's really into barbecue, went to a small barbecue joint outside of Austin, and he texted me and sent me a picture. And he said, "Dad, the barbecue snob is here." Now I don't know if you're familiar with the barbecue snob, but he's written a Bible, so-called Bible on Texas barbecue about yay thick, and he's been to all these places all over the state. Well, he happened to be there. Well. There are such things as food snobs. There are also fasting snobs. You probably don't know this, but there are. The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, was one such person. He used to say that he would never ordain as a a preacher uh, any person who didn't fast every Wednesday and every Friday for their life. Fortunately, I came along after he died. you know, but there are people who tell you it has to be a certain way. it has to be twenty four hours you can 't have any food you can't there are all sorts of people who tell you how what you need to 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 practice restraint. Let me tell you a couple of things first of all, fasting in jesus' day uh, Jesus likely fasted um, uh, he certainly commended the practice and and um, in the Sermon on the mount but the the, the Orthodox, or the rabbis in Jesus' day, would fast two days a week. They would fast Monday and Thursday, but their fast would be from after dinner in one day to mid-afternoon the next day. Basically, they skipped breakfast and lunch. wasn't even 24 hours. Wasn't, it wasn't going without anything to drink. It was just food. Some fasted just from certain kinds of food. Other people, uh, their fast is from a medium. Uh, we have people in our church who, with their family, turn off their phones and computers every Friday night. Uh, the, the ancient Jewish Sabbath, which starts Friday at sunset. And they spend that evening and their children know they have the parents' full attention. And the parents each know they have each other's full of attention because all the devices have been shut off. For that evening, uh, how do you determine, you know, what's an appropriate fast? I think you simply ask the question, do I do anything in my life to excess? Do I have things in my life that I'm doing that are making it hard for God to gain a foothold or to enter? And, and you diagnose with the Holy Spirit and with the community and, and you figure it out. And then you temporarily pull back from that and see what God will do. I'm reminded of a story I've told you before, uh, because it's from a very famous Christian author who was going to uh, a Catholic retreat center, a, a monastery actually, for a weekend. And so when he checked in, the monks took him to his room. Well, it actually was more like a cell, and very sparse. And the monks said to him, they said, "Here you are. If you need anything at all, let us know, and we'll come explain to you how you can live without it." Well, we're not monks. We're not monks. If you are without media as a rule, you're not fasting. If you don't have enough to eat in this world, you're not fasting. It is temporary. It is voluntary. And there is a return. Notice Esther at the end of the story. I'm going to tell you how the story ends. She goes into the king. And the king doesn't kill her in fact the king is pleased to see her even in her uh fasting state and the king basically said i'll give you anything you want and and what esther says is well you know i'd like to throw you a party a what she's been fasting for a few days and she says i want to throw you a party a banquet and so she throws a party and a banquet and at the banquet she points out who the bad guy is what the plan is to exterminate all of her people And, of course, the Jews are saved. And do you know how Jews celebrate Esther today? Do you know what they do? Do they fast? No, they party. It's called Purim. A fast is temporary and voluntary so that you return with greater appreciation and greater joy and greater focus to what you were doing Banquets are a wonderful thing. In fact, the kingdom of God is described in the Gospels as a banquet and in Revelation as a banquet. It's a wonderful banquet, but it's made even more wonderful by a fast.